Kicking. This is Casey Hendrickson on News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Do you want to thank R&B Car Company? Locations in South Bend and Warsaw. R&B Car Company are your used car experts. Find them online at RB carcompany.com all right let's just uh start off with a friendly reminder shall we since today's the fifth tomorrow there's going to be some things going down in dc of course we'll cover that we'll talk about all of that stuff uh, tomorrow as well but a friendly reminder ladies and gentlemen as everybody is running around pitching a fit pretending there's some kind of a, a coup happening or there is some attempt to uh fraudulently decertify the election results or whatever a friendly reminder that what Republicans are going to be doing tomorrow have been done by Democrats the last three Republican presidencies. Just so you know, because <laughs> it's it's perfectly legal. It is perfectly constitutional. You might not like it. You might view it as immoral. Okay, but this has been done both times to President Bush and to Donald Trump. All three times this was done the exact same way by Democrats. This is your daily friendly reminder that what you are going to see tomorrow from Republicans in Washington, D.C. has been done three, the last three Republican presidencies, including in 2016 with President Trump. Okay? Nobody pitched a fit. Nobody cared. Nobody cried about it. No Jake Tappers were out there talking about a bloodless coup. None of that happened when Democrats were doing the exact same thing to three Republican presidencies. Just so you know. Got to start the show off with the basics here. Now, let's let's take a look at some additional things, shall we? Uh, for example, let's just let's rein it into local stuff, right? Uh, two Indiana cities are among the most dangerous in terms of cost of crime, uh, according to a new report that just came out. Two Indiana cities rank among the most dangerous with the highest cost of crime in America. Now, we have been down this road before, and at the time, there was a mayor who's getting ready to run for president who pitched a, a holy fit about all of this, got local news to go ahead and change their stories and basically say that the FBI was lying about everything. Well, another report, once again, coming out about two Indiana cities. MoneyGeek, a personal finance technology company, analyzed crime statistics and applied research findings to find the safest and most dangerous cities where crime is the most costly. Indianapolis ranked 287th. South Bend, 278th out of 303 cities analyzed. While Fort Wayne was the state's safest, so Fort Wayne, the safest city in the state of Indiana, at 194th on the list. Still below average, but tops in the Hoosier state. The annual cost of crime in Indianapolis is $3.1 billion. In South Bend, uh, crime costs more than $3,000 per capita, which is compared to $1,597 in Fort Wayne. Now, keep in mind, these are not uh, like uh, how many crimes happen statistics. These are the cost of crime, okay? So in urban areas, poverty and crime are both attributable to each other, uh, deeper factors like former redlining policies 
and other institutionalized methods for preventing the accumulation of wealth, according to Golf Darcy. I know it's Jeff, but I like saying Golf of Tulane University. Evansville ranked 226th with a cost uh, per capita of nearly $2,000. The research also found the average cost of crime in the United States was $1,849 per capita. All right, well, there you go. Uh, mass public shootings were about 3% of the total cost of crime. Money Geek also used research from the National Institutes of Health into society's cost of crime and estimated cost of reported crimes for each city. For the 300 cities examined, the cost of crime is $176 billion annually. Uh, I assume that this is going to be prior to 2020 riots, okay? The report ranked Arlington, Virginia as the nation's overall safest city, followed by Thousand Oaks, California. Hey, newsflash. Uh, it's really not a newsflash. It is, uh, it's an aside, if you will. Thousand Oaks, California is where all of the porn stars live. <laughs> in case you didn't know, uh, they live in a lot of the film crews are in Thousand Oaks, California. Uh, don't ask me how I know. So anyway, uh, Thousand Oaks, California, Allen, Texas, Cary, North Carolina, and Irvine, California. So those are the safest cities. The safest, largest cities were Raleigh, North Carolina. Raleigh's a great place. Henderson, Nevada, my home turf. There you go. Uh, Anaheim, California, Honolulu, Hawaii, Mesa, Arizona. Overall, the most dangerous cities with the highest cost of crime were, I know you'll be shocked by most of these. Are you ready? St. Louis, Baltimore, Detroit, Jackson, Mississippi, and Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> not at all shocking in any way so there you go south bend once again making a you suck city list so there is there is that it's not good man that is not good uh 278 out of 303 cities tis no bueno ladies and gentlemen but you know hey what are you gonna do uh, what else do we have here? Oh, yeah, landlords. Can we talk about landlords for just a minute? Let's talk about something else that has to do with the uh, the COVID stuff. Uh, somebody says that Allen, Texas is safe because of open carry. Uh, Henderson, Nevada has open carry, too. Uh, so that's that's interesting. Um, Henderson, so for those of you who don't know what Henderson, Nevada is, Henderson is like uh, Mishawaka to South Bend. They're attached at the hip. You go in and out of them all the time. Um it frequently people in Henderson, it's, it's less so now, but when Henderson was just starting to grow, uh, frequently people who lived in Henderson would say that they were from Vegas just because it's, they're seamless. They inter interact and, and all of that sort of thing. They have different governments, different police departments and that sort of thing, but, um, they're attached at the hip. They're basically one city, but they're not, you know what I mean? Uh, so anyway, let's talk about, um, we got to talk about landlords here. Cause I think this is, this is going to be one of those issues. I've repeatedly mentioned that we have we have a real big problem with what's going to happen at the end of all of this when it comes to landlords, when it comes to tenants, uh, back rents, that sort of thing. And nobody has come up with a solution at this point in time. Absolutely nobody. Now, you have to understand something. I, I realize that there's some well-meaning intentions and in saying, you know, you don't have to pay rent and therefore you don't have to pay. Uh, you don't have to. You can't kick people out because they may not be able to. But there's not a lot of safeguards on that. So people who have not lost work or have not lost income, because some people continued to work but took a dip in income, um, both as salary reductions and obviously commissions, nothing is being done to address what happens when everything just reopens. 
and life begins to normalize. What's going to happen to the landlords? What's going to happen to those tenants who still owe that rent? Uh, what about the landlords who still owe those mortgage payments to the banks? What's going to happen there? Nobody's addressed that. There isn't a plan on the table uh, that has any kind of a coherent response to this. Nobody seems to want to talk about it or deal with it. It's one of those things where it's like you're kicking the bucket down the road while the problem continues to co compound and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I ran into this story here where a landlord is being evicted while they are not allowed to, to evict delinquent tenants. Well, isn't that interesting? The tenants don't have to pay, but the landlord does have to pay. And because the landlord can't pay, the landlord is being evicted. So we're going to talk about this issue. This is a huge issue. You have no idea how bad this really is. I don't think that a lot of people spend a ton of time thinking about the looming real estate crisis as a result of all of this. We're going to talk about that coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Once again, I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. I want to thank you for joining us. If you are interested in watching the video of the radio show, go to dlive.tv slash Casey, the host. Join the community over there. It's been growing like gangbusters for the past couple of weeks and uh, really, really thrilled by that, I'm taking the vacation time that I just had. I'm taking that out of the equation. About a week before I went on vacation, then I was gone for two weeks, and we just came back. And it's just been growing like gangbusters over on DLive. Fun community. A great place for you to hang out. And I have another story about YouTube today, which is just going to confirm your decision to leave YouTube and go to DLive. And you don't want to miss it. I mean, it's it actually affects my business. So we'll talk about that coming up in a little while. But first, we got to talk about the landlord issue with what is happening with COVID. So landlords right now, there's a moratorium on evictions, which for the record is well-intentioned and I understand, right? People are not allowed to go to work. The government is telling them they're not allowed to go to work. They're shutting these businesses down. Uh, we unfortunately got notice that there is what, two local restaurants in the Michiana area yesterday that announced that they are shutting their doors. Uh, two popular places as well. Uh, most of you know that we've lost several very, very popular places, even some that I have endorsed uh, from the very beginning that have recently shut down as a result of the pandemic. Um, it hurts. I mean, it really hurts. Not only are you losing those businesses, uh, but all of those people now don't have jobs. And where are they going to go? You know, it's not like there's a massive increase in hiring happening right now. Now, the economy is overall somewhat better than people think, but there's still these huge swaths where it's a, it's a real concern, especially as lockdowns continue, uh, even though they're completely and totally ineffective. So what's going to happen with the landlords? Now, at, at some point, we've been doing this for almost a year, and they're talking about not stopping this until, you know, sometime next fall, if, if not in 2022. I don't think that's going to happen. But that's what they're trying to say. They're trying to prepare you mentally for that possibility, which I there's there's going to be organized groups of how should I say this? OK, without without irritating everybody, there will be an organized response to such policies. I'll say it that way. You don't want to try and lock people down until 2022 because I don't think it's going to happen. 
Regardless, you're not allowed to evict people who can't pay you rent. They can't pay you rent because they're not allowed to work because the government won't let them work. But eventually, it all opens up. They still owe you that rent. As a landlord, I'm sure some of you tenants out there are going, well, the landlord should just forget, forgive it. Yeah, except the landlord still owes that mortgage. And most landlords don't make a lot off of your rent. Some actually take a little bit of a loss or they break even, right? So if a landlord owes $1,000 in a monthly mortgage, uh, you're supposed to be paying $1,100 in rent. You know, that's an extra 100 bucks, you know, skin in the game, whatever. But now that's gone. How do they make up that $1,000 in, in mortgage payments that they haven't been able to get because you haven't been paying rent? What do they do? Do you think the bank is just going to go, oh man, don't worry about it. We totally understand. Everything's cool. Of course they're not. There's going to be this huge problem. You're going to be dealing with all sorts of horrendous legislation out of the federal government that's coming from this. And it's going to be a nightmare. But I ran into this story. Shocker, this is in New York City. The landlord is being evicted while the tenants who don't have to pay rent get to live rent free. But the landlord is being evicted. Now, somebody posted this on my live stream. In New York City, there has been allegations and there appears to be quite a substantial amount of evidence that de Blasio is kind of working to shut down places of business and take their land. Now, some of this, obviously, with residential areas is not going to apply to that. But there's some evidence that de Blasio has been doing this. But I digress. This is uh, Jazz Shaw over at HotAir.com. I've been writing about the looming eviction crisis since early in the summer. This entirely predictable disaster has been obvious to anyone who has been paying attention ever since the pandemic broke out. Right. We don't talk about it. A well-intentioned eviction moratorium effort by the government to prevent renters from finding themselves out on the streets after government shutdowns eliminated their jobs did little or nothing to prevent the damages sustained by landlords. It also never answered the question. What would be done about all the back rent that was going to come due when the moratorium expired? Look, if your rent's a thousand bucks and you don't pay it for a year, you owe 12 grand. And when everything reopens, you've got to come up with 12 grand. How many of you think you can do that if you weren't even able to pay your rent throughout the pandemic? You think magically all of a sudden you're going to get 12 grand to pay your back rent? Of course not. So what is the landlord's choice? The landlord may not have a choice because the bank's probably already going to be taking the property away from the landlord. Anyway, Jazz Shaw continues, These challenges are already taking their toll in New York City, and in one case, we're seeing a twist in the usual depression sales. Uh, excuse me, tales. One landlord and owner of a modest apartment building in the Inwood neighborhood in the Big Apple is now facing eviction himself. The reason is that some of his tenants are simply refusing to pay their rent even if they kept their jobs or other sources of income through the pandemic. So the story's out of the New York Post. David Housen is 88 years old. He's also got Alzheimer's, by the way. So he has his daughter managing his estate. So he, um, he runs a co-op apartment in Inwood. He has lived in this apartment building that he owns. He's lived there for decades. He owes 40 grand to the bank. $40,000 because his tenants are not paying rent. Some of them have kept their jobs and are making money. One of his tenants, which he has sued in court, 
actually has refused to pay him from before the lockdowns, before the pandemic. This is somebody who inherited a rent-controlled apartment from from their uh, was it their husband or their dad? Somebody died, and basically uh, left this rent-controlled apartment to them, and they have refused to pay pre-pandemic. So they have sued. And people have now taken up a social justice cause on behalf of this woman to say that it's wrong to try and charge her any kind of rent because of the pandemic. But she wasn't paying before the pandemic. And now he's facing eviction because he doesn't have $40,000 to pay to the bank for his property, his home. He's being evicted from his own building that he owns while he's not allowed to evict the people who live in the building, even those who have steady full-time income. It's going to get way worse as this whole thing continues. We got more coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Again, want to thank R&B Car Company. Locations in South Bend and Warsaw, R&B Car Company are your used car experts. Find them online at rbcarcompany.com. All right, let's go back to December 26th. I was on vacation, but this had been already percolating a little bit. Uh, Once again, University of Michigan. And for you Michigan listeners out there, it's... um, I don't really know what to say. I, I mean, the Spartans are crazy and the Wolverines are crazy. Spartans are more crazy. The, the stuff that comes out of that university is just so insanely stupid. But the University of Michigan, I, I think they're just competing. They just, they try to do everything they possibly can to keep up with the insanity at the other universities there. So, so anyway, the University of Michigan has a words matter task force. We've talked about them in the past. And the organization has declared that certain words are offensive. And again, we have talked about some of those words in the past, but they've added some things to their list. So brown bag, that is now offensive. Your brown bag in your lunch, can't say that. That is offensive. If you hear the dog barking in the background, it's because he took long going to the bathroom, and I warned him, so he's going to have to stay in the garage and get cold. Uh, Next, the word picnic is offensive. I, all right, let's go down the rabbit hole, shall we? The Words Matter Task Force has evaluated the terms and language conventions that may hinder effective communication, harm morale, and deliberately or inadvertently exclude people from feeling accepted to foment a healthy and inclusive culture. So that's a bunch of gobbledygook. Uh, The group, which is a part of Michigan's Information and Technology Services, advises that people should avoid using so-called problematic words such as privileged account, handicapped, blacklist, crazy, grandfathered, and dummy. So you can't even say that something got grandfathered in? (laughs) That's crazy. Wait, can't say crazy. Well, they could blacklist me. Nope can't do that either hmm um handicapped has been around for a long time right you know it's um by the way nobody who is handicapped is offended by the word handicap kind of like people who have mental disabilities are not offended by the r word it's all of their relatives who are uh 
they are not. And I've, I've gone over this many, many times. I used to do uh, work with uh, both the Special Olympics and I also did work with, uh, uh, when I was in pest control many, 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 many moons ago, I did pest control for a local charitable organization for the mentally disabled uh, in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I actually had a, a sit down conversation with them about this. And not a single one of them was offended by the R word at all. It is purely something that your average run-of-the-mill person in society is offended by. Uh, but everybody else is totally not offended by it. The Information and Technology Services, a trusted enabler of technology for the UM community, created the Words Matter Task Force. They claim that they are trying to get people to use inclusive language. Well, I think if you're going to use inclusive language, wouldn't you want to use the words crazy and dummy? You want to include crazy and dumb people, right? That's, isn't that kind of like the point of using inclusive language? What about grandfathers? You're not allowed to say that somebody's grandfather grandfathered somebody? Can't, uh, can't say that? There's a whole bunch of different ways you could take that, I guess. So, uh, given the importance of communications and the its core, ITS core value of inclusivity, the Words Matter Task Force was formed and charged with identifying terms used within ITS that are or can be construed to be racist, sexist, or non-inclusive. So, if your granddad died, like mine, saying grandfathered might trigger somebody. Uh, people die, get over it. Inclusive language means not using sayings such as, long time no see. I can't say long time no see. Man. Bummer. Is that a lot? Low man on the totem pole, that one's been... Uh, considered offensive by the crazies excuse me the emotionally inept for some time now off the reservations and also one of those things sold down the rivers another one of those things uh crack the whip is also on this list now that last one crack the whip i've got another story involving that phrase crack the whip we'll get to that here in a minute Despite the word picnic being labeled as offensive by the Words Matter Task Force, a Reuters fact check article stated that the word picnic is not racist. Hey, look at that. Reuters coming to the defense of language. Picnic is not racist and does not originate from the lynchings of African Americans. Yeah, no kidding. Do you have any idea how many times they've told us that something that we say is offensive or racist or triggering doesn't actually have historical context that originates in those types of horrible things? most of them but it doesn't matter because if at any point in time it was ever used in that context then it automatically forever becomes offensive racist bigoted that sort of thing now i remember when they were trying to uh to get a rock removed was this right before uh, vacation here right before the holidays they're trying to get a, a rock removed because there's one article in the 1930s written about the rock one article one person one sentence called the rock an offensive term and that was the only time it had ever been used for that rock and they wanted the rock gone kicked out of the university the rock was gone there's a landmark at the university you can't have the rock there anymore i'm going to talk about this crack the whip thing though because there is a teacher who is now in big trouble because of crack the whip i'm gonna go let the dog in so he doesn't continue yelling at all of you we got more coming up on 95.3 mnc
and good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Friendly reminder that we are live streaming on dlive.tv slash Casey the host. dlive.tv slash Casey the host. Please follow. Again, it doesn't cost you anything but your soul. So a member of a school district board in the People's Republic of Washington is under fire after using the phrase crack the whip. Now, remember, we were just talking about the University of Michigan. University of Michigan has listed that phrase as offensive. So you can't you can't use it. Well, a school district board member did hundreds, hundreds of local residents have signed a petition calling on Paul Wageman, a member of the school board since 2009, to resign from his post over the comment that they call racist. Who's that band that sings Crack the Whip? Hold on a second. Crack the uh, Whip Band. Who the heck does that? That uh, one-hit wonder? God, I don't even know. Who was it? It doesn't matter. Whatever. There's a song called Crack the Whip. Devo. Devo. Thank you, Comet. Devo. I have no idea if that's correct and don't care. So anyway, <laughs> I'm going to go with it. So I, are we not allowed Are we not allowed to have that song air on the radio anymore? Is that going to be like another Baby It's Cold Outside where you, if you play Crack the Whip, boom, next thing you know, goes away? All right. According to a report by the College Fix, a member of the Clover Park School District uh, board in Lakewood. Oh, Lakewood. I used to live in Lake, Lakewood. May be removed from his school board position over his use of the phrase crack the whip. Nice. As part of a discussion about declining graduate uh, graduation rates, uh, Wageman said that the district needed to crack the whip. Some members of the community quickly claimed that Wageman's remarks were racist. You know what this means, right? This, this means we have to cue every Democratic politician who has ever said crack the whip. And I guarantee over the next couple of days, you're going to find a lot of them, including Obama and others. And the calls for Wageman's resignation were sparked by Tanisha Lyons, who ran against Wageman in his most recent reelection. Gee, I wonder what her motivation might be. Well, here's a bigot in our community, Lyons wrote on a Facebook post. No. You're just crazy. Wait. Dang it. I can't say that. Keep forgetting you're not allowed to say crazy anymore. An ongoing petition that calls for Wageman's resignation has received almost 200 signatures. Oh, man. Dang. What is he going to do about the onslaught of people who want him to resign? The petition claims that Wageman has made multiple bigoted comments in his role as a member of the school board. Okay. Sure he did. <clears throat> Look, I don't know anything about this guy. Don't really care. But I, apparently he says that he is uh, going to resign as a result of, of all of this. So, Oh, no, he's asked to resign. Excuse me. He has not said that he's going to resign. He's been asked to resign. Now we got this other story, also from Before My Vacation, which ties into all of this. A school would not let her son opt out of class that promotes anti-white teaching, and now she is suing. This is from December 26th. My favorite writer, Ash Show. So again, across the country, uh, schools... Hold on a second. <clears throat> it's making me log in again. Sorry. These, uh, these payment ga gateways and all of that stuff, ladies and gentlemen. It was up, and then it just like refreshed and made me have to log back in because, you know, it's not like I'm a professional or anything. This is just how these things go down. 
Across the country, schools, businesses, and governments have implemented training and classes that promote the idea that all white people are racist and must atone for their racism, even if they haven't said or done anything racist. And this is happening right here in Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame is requiring white privilege classes and that sort of thing, which is, of course, asinine stupid. In Nevada, Gabriel Clark did not want her son to attend a mandatory class at his charter school promoting, quote, hostility towards whites as a race. She previously threatened to file a lawsuit against the school for forcing him to take the class, and this week she made good on that threat. Now, again, this is at the uh, last week of December, so it's a little over a week ago. So what ended up happening is uh, she's alleging that the school forced her kid to make, quote, professions about his racial, sexual, gender, and religious identities in verbal class exercises and in graded written homework assignments. Now, that is a federal lawsuit that was filed last Tuesday. Now, the kid is a senior at Democracy Prep. How appropriately named. Is, um, he is biracial had his statements subject to the scrutiny, interrogation, and derogatory labeling of students, teachers, and school administrators. William is still being coerced to accept and affirm politicized and discriminatory principles and statements that he cannot, in conscience, affirm. This is all in the lawsuit. Again, this is filed last Tuesday in federal court. So the lawsuit is basically saying that her son has faced repeated, uh, repeatedly been threatened, uh, the material is harmful, and he's getting a failing grade and faces non-graduation if he does not comply with these racist assignments. So she has filed this federal case. Now, Gabriel is black and William's only living guardian. His father was white and passed away. So this is a, this is a mixed race student who is a senior and is being forced to reject the whiteness in his genealogy because of this well this anti-white bigotry that has now taken hold in in the institutional uh, systems of the united states and particularly in education so good for her for standing up good for her for filing this lawsuit and wish her the absolute best we'll continue to follow that case because it's gonna have huge ramifications i think on a lot of stuff going forward Again, we're on dlive.tv slash Casey, the host. If you would like to watch the stream or you can listen to it at 95.3mnc.com. More coming up.